My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. A man named John was sent from God. He came for testimony to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify to the light. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to him to ask him, Who are you? He admitted and did not deny it, but admitted, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, What are you then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? So we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say for yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said. Some Pharisees were also sent. They asked him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but there is one among you whom you do not recognize, the one who is coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not unworthy to tie. This happened to Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The Gospel of the Lord. Is the glass half full or half empty? Which are you? So goes the common expression to probe what is your outlook, what's your attitude, what's your demeanor in life. In 2020, people have had a little more time on their hands for a little bit more reflection for obvious reasons to, to ponder this, to philosophize, to theorize on the saying. And they've added some further points of reflection to that old adage, is the glass half full or half empty? The optimist will say the glass is half full. The pessimist will say it's half empty. The engineer will say the glass is two times bigger than it needs to be. The politician will say the glass would be more empty if the opposition were in charge. And obviously the opposition will say the glass would be full if they were in charge. The fanatic will say the glass is full, even though it isn't. The computer support person will tell you you should try emptying the glass and then refilling it. The business analyst would want the air at the bottom and the liquid at the top to make it more accessible. The college student ignores the glass and just goes for the bottle. And the academic will say that the glass can identify however it wants to, you closed-minded fool. If you're not laughing, I apologize. Having to study philosophy and theology for eight years can alter your sense of humor for sure. But discussions on the whole 
glass half full, half empty thing has been a topic of conversation more so than, than ever, since everyone seems to be dealing with things differently and are coming from a variety of places emotionally, physically even, and spiritually. There's been a, a wide variety of extremes of loss from people who have lost loved ones or livelihoods and businesses to those who have just lost the, the security and comfort they experience from their, their daily lives and their routines. And with that, they all can carry layers of guilt and shame as we compare our losses to someone else's, which is always a destructive thing to do, by the way. You add some layers of anxiety and unrest coming from an assortment of other sources, well, it leaves many wanting to throw the glass, whether it's half full or half empty, against the brick wall. With that as our reality, we come to this, this third Sunday of Advent, the one with the pink candle on the wreath and the pink vestments. We brush up on our church Latin, and here it's Gaudete Sunday, which is meant to remind us that Gaudete means rejoice. That's because we're at the halfway point of Advent, actually past the halfway point, and we're reflecting on how Jesus comes. And the scripture verse that's meant to summon us into worship comes from St. Paul's letter to Philemon that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice, the Lord is near. That's where the Gaudete comes from. It sets the tone for this Mass as it's followed up in the, the Liturgy of the Word that we just heard with that first reading from the Old Testament, from the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, Rejoice heartily in the Lord, followed up by another dose of St. Paul in the second reading saying, Rejoice always. Before we roll our eyes, before we add our butts, before we explain why things are different this year, how we would rejoice if, we have to pause for a second and just remember that St. Paul was writing this from prison. He's being tortured and he's pretty sure he's going to be put to death in a pretty horrendous way for his preaching and his teaching about Jesus Christ. He wasn't delusional. He wasn't some religious freak oblivious to the facts. He wasn't denying the pains he was suffering. He wasn't being Pollyannish thinking if just pray everything will be good, equating good to all these negative things going away and people listening and respecting him and, and following Jesus themselves or at least respecting him and truly meaning things like agree to disagree. That's not what's in his mind as he's telling people to rejoice. He knew full well what was going to happen to him as he's writing to his fellow Christians who faced similar and in some cases even worse fates. Similarly, the, the prophet Isaiah is proclaiming God's words to people who had grown up under a cloud of oppression and slavery. And because of that, there had been growing an indifference or even an apathy towards their religious practice, thinking that 
all hope was lost as they had been in exile for so long and their homeland had been decimated. Both of these men calling the people of their days and time, both of these men's words being proclaimed here and now in this liturgy to you and to I, in this time and space to rejoice, aren't engaging us in a philosophical game asking us to get our minds right and deciding whether to see the glass is half empty or half full. They would be saying to rejoice whether your glass was full or empty or if you had no glass at all. They would be telling people to rejoice, recognizing that rejoicing is something that's in your heart and in your soul. That's something that cannot be robbed by any earthly experience or no human being can even touch it or affect it unless we allow it to. Isaiah knows his fellow Jews are struggling, but it wasn't because of their, their present struggles in the Babylonian exile that didn't help for sure. But what was the true source of their sorrow was that they had forgotten who they were. They weren't living as God's chosen people. They had not been faithful to the covenant and they had ignored the Ten Commandments. Commands that were meant for their happiness. Commands that were meant to lay out how to be in right relationship with God and with one another. The Jews back then, just like you and I today, find it difficult sometimes to be obedient to those Ten Commandments. So they're struggling with the, the effects of all their bad choices because actions do have consequences. All the things that had happened since, losing their homes, being enslaved, suffering gross abuses and humiliations, those were all ripples of their losing their sense of identity of who they were and whose they were. Now, upon finally breaking free and, and, and coming home, they found their home in ruins. But God looks at his people, and his people will not be defeated. This will not stand. And so he sends Isaiah to bring glad tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, to captives and release to prisoners, to announce a year of favor from the Lord and a day of vindication from our God. In short, God will save his people. And the Jews, who St. Pope John Paul II beautifully referred to as our, our elder brothers and sisters in the covenant, have believed these prophecies, have taken solace in them in times of struggle and continue to do so today, trusting that God would remain faithful to their covenant. But even more, in Jesus, the God of Israel has become man, has dwelt among us and fulfilled those prophecies and given us a new everlasting covenant based on his passion death and resurrection. St. Paul, meeting the risen Jesus Christ, saw in him a, a glorious future, yes, but he saw a present that was recreated as well. And so he recognized all the ebbs and flows, 
the joys and the sorrows, all the trials and triumphs, all in the light of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what made it possible for him to rejoice always in good times and bad, recognizing that in Jesus remaining with us, that we can and do receive him in his word, but also in his very body and blood in the Eucharist. Think about how awesome that is. We have the very maker of the glass and the water and the air that fill it or empty it within the deepest recesses of our being in the most intimate parts of ourselves. We have that eternal light that John testified to, who was humbled to even consider untying his sandal straps. That light desires to make his home within us. Our present sorrows or our sadness isn't the result of a pandemic or the economy or government officials, but because like our Jewish ancestors, we too sometimes forget our identity. We can forget Jesus comes and remains with us. So the question is, isn't how do we, but rather how can we not rejoice?